the Lord. Let us be known by our love. Amen? You know, not a human love. Not a love like we would define it, but a love as God has defined, as was just illustrated in the lyrics of the song. So beautifully delivered. Thank you so much, choir. Thank you. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Well, my name's Derek Hartley. Um, It's my pleasure to get to preach this morning and to bring you the next message in our series of who we are in Christ. Who we are in Christ. We're, We're walking through the first portion of chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians. And uh, this is where we've been so far. We've learned that by the loving grace of God, that you and I, believers, followers in Christ, are in Christ. We are in Jesus Christ. And because of that, we are incredibly blessed in Christ. So we are in Christ Uh, And we are blessed in Christ. And this series is that we are we're walking through these blessings. Now, as you, it's so easy to read uh, a passage like this and just read over every blessing and think, "Wow, that's really nice." But it it helps us it helps us a bit to understand the unfathomable nature. Of God and His blessings. And when we take each blessing and try and break it down and look at it and try to understand the depth, the breadth, the height, the width, the profundity of that and who God is. So that's what we're trying to do. And what we've learned is that in Christ, when we are, as a blessing, we are chosen in Christ. We're made holy and blameless in Christ. We're predestined to adoption in Christ. We're accepted in Christ. We're redeemed in Christ. And we're forgiven in Christ. And if you are like me, it's hard to walk through this litany of our blessings in Christ and not get up on my toes. And get right up there to, sh- to shouting. But, I'm, but I'm, I've got too much decorum for that. I'm going to shout today. Well, maybe not. But that's where we've been. And we're going to pick up, we're going to pick up the passage and the message series today in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 8 through 10. And last week we looked at verse 7. That's it. And look, we could look at verse 8 and verse 9 and verse 10, but we would like to finish um, this sermon series before Christmas. And so we're gonna we're we're gonna we're gonna go. All right. I encourage you to go back and pour over it and take every word of it and seek to to gain more understanding. But look look with me in Ephesians chapter one, verse eight through ten, and I'm going to read this to you. You follow along either in your copy of God's Word or we'll have the scripture on the screen. All right. And I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. Okay. Let's, uh, let's go back to verse 7. Do you have verse 7? No? Uh, you know what? I got it. I got it right here. I can't see it. All right. Tom, got my Bible. All right, verse 7. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. And the reason why we need to read verse 7, because it gives us a, a run and start into verse 8. Because of the riches, riches of his grace. And verse 8 says, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, do you see how pregnant this is with goodness and grace and just 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 goody? As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Oh my goodness. The so much here. There's so much. But after prayer. In conversation, I've settled on three things. And that's what, those are the three things that we're going to talk about today. And uh, before we do, let's pray together. Oh, God. You are so amazing. And adjectives don't do you justice. So today, give us, Lord Jesus... Holy Spirit, Father God, just a little more understanding in all of our humanity and finite being, a little more understanding of who you are and the blessings that accompany being in Christ. May we be changed forever because we spent this time together worshiping you and focusing on just that your majesty and your grandeur. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so three things. And there's so, so much more, but three things. All right, number one, thought number one. Here we go. In him, in Christ. We see the brilliance of God. In Christ, we see the brilliance of God. Now, let's, let's, let's go back to right there at the beginning of verse 8. And it says, which He has lavished upon us. You see, uh, in all wisdom and insight, which He's lavished. He's talking about the, 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 His forgiveness according to the richness of His grace, which He's lavished upon us. So when I read a word like lavish, I'll think, okay, I kind of get an idea of that. <clears throat> but I really want to understand. <clears throat> Excuse me. I really want to understand what that means. Lavish is, <clears throat> to, is expending or bestowing profusely, generously, extravagantly, without limit. So the riches of God's grace have been expended, bestowed profusely upon us, generously and extravagantly, without limit. That's what God has done for us 
in His Son, Jesus Christ. Through His Son, Jesus Christ. God lavishes this grace on us. But it's in all wisdom and insight. So it's not done mindlessly. It's done with incredible intelligence. Now look, first of all, using human terminology to try to describe God's intelligence just seems to fall so short. Now actually, as I was trying to come up with a noun or an adjective, it felt a little bit wrong. But I just picked one. Brilliance. And I thought, this is as good a place as any to start. The brilliance of God. This grace, this mercy that is lavished upon us is not done mindlessly, but it is done in conjunction with the absolute brilliance of God. Look at Romans chapter 11, verse 33 and 34. Romans chapter 11, verse 33 and 34. The greatest commentary on Scripture is Scripture. And Paul, again, writing to the, to the Romans, describes the brilliance of God. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Look, look, you've got to read it like that. There's an exclamation point there. Do you see it? Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How inscrutable are His ways. And we're going to have to define some terms here in just a second. Understand, I don't use inscrutable when I'm watching a football game. Alright, so we're going to have to talk about that. But anyway, look at verse 34. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Wow. So let's talk about this. What, is unsearchable? what does unsearchable mean? Unsearchable is unable to be explored. Unable to be traced. Unable <clears throat> to be investigated. God's wisdom and knowledge. Is an, is, you're, you're, we are unable in our humanity to explore it fully. To trace it. Or to have any sort of scrutiny over it. Or, I'm sorry, or investigate it in, in any way. And then there's this word, inscrutable. What a great word. That's a $3 word. Inscrutable. Impossible to understand. Impossible to interpret. Impossible to scrutinize. Oh, the depth. How unsearchable and inscrutable are is the knowledge and the ways of our God. We can never come close to beginning to comprehend the depth and width and breadth of God's brilliance. And it is, listen, do you understand? Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? Have you, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? God God's never, has it's never been time in eternity, past, present, or future, that God's been sitting on His throne and said, I just had a great idea. <laughs> never. Great ideas just are. Because He's God. 
He doesn't have to puzzle things out. He, there's no, he doesn't have to work out a formula. He, he, it just, he's God. He just knows. He just understands. I can't spend a lot of time here. Because okay, we're going to get bogged down in this. And I've got some water here. Thank you. Thank you. We're gonna, we'll get bogged down in this and miss the other two points. But God, at the same time, at the very same time, His process for saving the world, all humanity, is far-seeing, skillfully arranged, and carefully formed at the same time, as well as being instantaneous and immediate. Wow, that's our God. And it is according to that brilliance that God has lavished on us His grace and mercy. We could end the sermon right there. But we're not. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. What a mighty God. What an incredible Creator. What a powerful Savior. What a beautiful Spirit. Praise God. So thought one. In Him, in Christ, we see all the fullness of the brilliance of God. And we'll never be able to fully comprehend it. Never. Number two. In Him, in Christ... God's mystery is revealed. In Christ, God's mystery is revealed. <clears throat> Let's look at verse 9. Verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ. Making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ. Now look, we're not talking about a mystery. We're not talking about a mystery here in the sense of something being eerie or something being spooky. We're talking about a mystery in this, in this regard. Somebody give this to Mr. Jim. He needs this. It's okay. You just chug away. Alright, we're talking about a mystery like this in the sense that it is a sacred secret that was previously hidden. A sacred secret that is previously hidden, now revealed and lived out by God's people, which are believers. A sacred secret that was previously hidden, that is now revealed and lived out and by God's people, his believers. And this is his new nation God is using to spread the message of the gospel to the world. And it has to be experienced before it is fully understood. Now let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 
verse 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race. That you are followers in Christ, of Christ. Those who are in Christ. Believers. You are a chosen race. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for His own possession. Do you see this? You are a chosen race. A royal priesthood. Chosen. A people for His own possession. That's who we are in Christ. And then, verse 10. That you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. Listen, stop right there. We who are in Christ aren't here aren't in Him so we can have a nice life. We're not in Him so we can be safe. And we're certainly not in Him so we can get away from those who aren't. We have a purpose. If God, the Creator of the universe, has gone to the lengths that He has to provide our salvation. Why do you think it's just so we can have, be happy? We have an incredibly important purpose. Look back there at, the, at verse 9. That you may proclaim the excellency of Him who called you out of darkness and into light. Verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, oh, but hallelujah, now you have received mercy. And it's not so you can just be happy. There's a world that needs to know of the excellencies of the God who saved you and the God who saved me. In Him, that mystery is revealed. That God is making a new nation. One nation. One holy chosen nation of all the believers in the world who have ever lived who are living now and who will ever live. And up until this point, until Christ did what He did at Calvary, it was a mystery. Now it's slowly being revealed at this point in history and from Scripture. And we know more now about it than they did then, but we're still learning about what it means to be a holy priesthood. We struggle with that, church. We don't understand our calling. The, the number one thing we ought to be doing as followers of Christ is worshiping Him. 
and then leading others to do the same. In Him, God's mystery was revealed. And there's a ton more in that verse. But we're going to call it right there. And then verse 10. Thought number three. In Him we see God's plan for unity. In Him we see God's plan for unity. Let's look at verse 10. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. There it is. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. See, we, we, read, we can read that and it, it, it's beautiful poetry. All things in Him, in heaven and in earth. That's just a beautiful thought, right? Until you begin to wrap your mind around just how immense that is. Immeasurable in our human minds. Of the enormity of what it means to unite all things. All things in heaven and all things in earth, on earth. In Him. It's not unity for unity's sake. And it's certainly not unity as defined by man. <clears throat> There's a lot of talk in our culture about unity. There's a lot of shaming in our culture. All surrounding unity. There's a lot of rhetoric and a lot of pontificating about unity. You know, I'm... I have... kind of been studying it. And this is kind of what I get from all this puffed up elaboration on unity. Is unity is this. We let's all get unified around the way I think. Let's all get unified around what my idea of unity is. And then if we can't, if, the, if you choose not to get unified around what I think is right and true and good, then you're dead to me. I see a lot of head shaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get those liberals told. You get those conservatives told. You just get them all told. 
Because the side of the aisle where I sit is right. And if everybody just believed this way, we'd be good. Unity. And by right, I mean correct. I don't mean right. The unity that God speaks of here in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10 is a unity according to God's will, which is to save. A unity according to God's plan, which is to save us through, in, by His Son Jesus Christ. The unity we see here in verse 10 is a unity that is according to His purpose. Which is to bring Himself glory. His will that all men would be saved. His plan through Jesus Christ. His purpose to bring Himself glory. Oh, we benefit from that. But understand, it is for His glory, not your happiness. Look with me, please, at Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11 says this. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, and, or slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. That's the unity. And so here's another word, Scythian. That was a nomadic people. I know some people are like, who, what? Hmm? It's a nomadic people. Here's a historical perspective from Alexander McLaren. He's a, a, um, a Scottish theologian. When these words, this scripture I just read, were spoken, the then known civilized world was cleft by great deep gulfs of separation like the crevices in a glacier by the side <clears throat> of which our racial animosities and class differences were merely superficial cracks <clears throat> on the surface. Language, religion, national animosities, differences of condition, and saddest of all, differences of sex split the world up into Alien fragments. In one language, the word stranger and enemy were the same word. They learned, um, the learned and the unlearned, the slave and his master, the barbarian and the Greek, the man and the woman stood on opposite sides of the great gulf, flinging, flinging hostilities across at one another. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like the ancient world feels a lot like today. Then McLaren goes on to say, Then the benefits of the gospel came. Then the barbarian, the Scythian, the bond and free, male and female, Jew and Greek, learned and ignorant, clasped hands and sat down at one table and felt themselves 
all one in Christ Jesus and they were ready to break all bonds. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. No political agenda, no national emphasis, and no global initiative can do this. These things do just as much to divide as they do to unite. Let me tell you, it's only Jesus that can unite us like that. Only Jesus. Let me tell you something else. It's not trite. It's not simplistic. It's not outdated. It's not out. It's not un, unrealistic or un, old-fashioned that Jesus Christ is the only one who can unite this, us this way is nothing but truth. We should be living this way. Every nation, every tribe, every culture, every ethnicity, every language group, existing and non-existing, are united in Christ. Do you understand the, 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 uniting, the unity we're talking about in Christ has the ability to go back to peoples who don't exist anymore. Languages who aren't, who aren't even that aren't even spoken anymore. These cultures that don't exist to unite us together with them in Christ. How? Because He's going to unite all things in heaven and on earth. Wow! Wow! That's the power in Christ. Let me give you this illustration. Let me hurry. Maybe you've heard of Corey Ten Boom. Read this illustration of unity found in Christ. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavy set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947. I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with a message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed to hear most in that bitter, bombed out land. And I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like, I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown when we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after that talk in Germany in 1947. People stood in silence. In silence, they collected their wraps. In silence, they left the room. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. He came back with a rush. A huge room with its harsh overhead lights. The pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor. The shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me. The ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. 
Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out, a fine message for our line. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Robinsburg in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. And I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from you, from your lips as well. Fraulein, again. And the hand came out. Will you forgive me? Well, I stood there. I whose sins had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there and held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition. That we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it was... I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. But those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did... An incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eye. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. And I submit to you that no political agenda no national emphasis, no global initiative 
creates a change like Jesus Christ can in the heart of every man, woman, boy, and girl. If we will only receive that ri the richest grace and mercy which is lavished upon us with all knowledge, the brilliance of God, if we'll just receive that, this sort of unity is produced. Only Jesus could, could produce unity from a Nazi concentration guard and, a, and one of his female prisoners. And even worse. That is the power and the might and the glory and the magnificence that is unsearchable and inscrutable of our mighty God and Creator and Savior. Amen. To this, I invite you today. If you're not a follower of Christ, it is into this Christ that I invite you. Begin to experience these blessings. All for God's glory. For your benefit, but all for God's glory. Begin to be a part of this holy priesthood. This a mighty nation of believers that God has created. The mystery that has been revealed to us. I'm inviting you into that. Admit that you are one who is in need of that. Believe that Jesus is who He said He is. And He did what He said He did. And then trust your life to Him. At home, if that's you, <clears throat> reach out to us so we can tell you what comes next. Here in this room, come forward. Let us know that it's the decision you want to make. We'll tell you what comes next. Now, believers, listen. What's keeping you from living this? What's keeping you from being the nation, part of the nation of God that He's called you to be? What's keeping you from living in unity? What is it? Who? Is it, is it unforgiveness? Is it a stubbornness? What is it? I'm asking you to come lay that down today. Let's stand together. I hear the Savior's strength indeed is small, child of weakness watching find in me thine all in all, 
Oh uh-huh.